Since 1931, Financial Executives International has been the leading advocate for the views of corporate financial management. Its more than 10,000 members hold policy-making positions as chief financial officers, chief accounting officers, controllers and treasurers at companies from every major industry. And FEI enhances its members' professional development through peer networking, career management services, conferences, research, and publications. Join FEI today to network with key influencers, understand emerging issues, advocate for corporate finance, and boost your career opportunities. Both individual and corporate membership options are available. Go to www.financialexecutives.org and click on Become a Member, or look for the link in this episode's show notes. Chris Westfall, and this is the FAI Weekly Podcast. Translating new technology into the sometimes slow to change world of accounting and finance takes a fair amount of passion to overcome established practices and a little bit of generational skepticism. Jesse Rubenfeld and Tom Zestner of Finoptimal are an example of a new crop of entrepreneurs trying to move the industry in a new direction. In this episode of the podcast, Tom and Jesse discuss their passion for automation, their love-hate relationship with cookbooks, and how to have a startup mindset in the world of accounting. As you'll hear, we begin the conversation uh, after a few technology missteps of our own. Jesse, thanks for, for joining us today. Um, looking for like a really broad discussion, not only about like what you're you're working on at your your current firm, but, you know, so your journey as entrepreneurs in this particular industry. So maybe I'll, I'll start off with, uh, you know, Tom and then Jesse, maybe you could describe, you know, a little bit about your background and a and, um, little bit about uh, Finoptimal. Yeah, for sure. I can go first. Well, I mean, what drew me to Finoptimal is I heard Jesse on a podcast, <laughs> interrupt the podcast host in the beginning, and I was like, I got to work with this guy. Showbiz, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about grace, grace under pressure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No. So I went, when I went to college, it was coming out of, we were coming out of the recession. I wanted to be a sound engineer. So we've been talking about audio hijack and my mom was like, well, everyone that graduates these days doesn't get a job. So why don't you pick something safe? And Binghamton had a 99% job placement rate for accounts. Yeah, yeah. So I said, Binghamton all right, I guess I'll do that. In accounting. Um, and yeah. So accounting and finance at Binghamton, um, towards the end, I was like, oh man, I don't know what I want to do with this big four. I went to a company called Protivity and did internal audit, which if you don't know the difference between internal and external audit out there for any of the listeners, external is more, you know, tying out the financial statements, right? More, uh, more, uh, quantitative, if you will, where I feel like internal audits, like what is the process of preparing financial statements? And I got a lot of exposure to financial operations and, and process-oriented kind of conversations. And that was really interesting to me. Um, got exposure to some automation tools, started automating certain pieces of my own process of being an auditor and thinking about how can the business automate stuff. And that was that's what I wanted to do. I could tell that was like really where I was, my interest was shining. Um, so I, I moved on to another company. I worked at WeWork for a few years, again, trying to do those same things. And it just so happened 
my college roommate from Binghamton was working at Phenophthalmal. He uh, tricked me into going to lunch with him. I thought we were just friends getting lunch. And he basically pitched me on, do you want to come work at Phenophthalmal? Do you want to at least like look into it? He demoed the software for me the next day. The next week I met Jesse and three weeks later, I had a signed offer letter. So really it was this kind of way I fell back into it, right? I didn't really want to pick accounting, picked accounting, got into automation and it led me here, which is really my dream job. Unless the sound engineering thing opens back up. This is, this is where I've, where I've landed, but, uh, right. yeah, no, yeah you, that's my the sound engineer is paying off because you sound yeah. like butter. So <laughs> Jesse, how about I you? I love it. There you go. A voice like so. Um, well, I started my career at, um, basically at, at LimeWire. Um, there's a family of companies around that and I did the books and I, I entered accounts payable data. It was very sort of straightforward in-house accounting job working for the controller and the CFO. Um, it, it, it was a startup inside a larger organization of companies that included, um, you know, a, a lot of other developers. And uh, once I had my sea legs in terms of just completing the monthly close, I started observing how some of the other developers were automating whatever they were supposed to be automating, trading or reconciliation or whatever it was for the hedge fund or the broker dealer that they had there. And I said, wow, can you, can you teach me how to write a bot that goes onto the bank and pulls the daily activity? Because that's part of my job. I got to do that every day. Well, yeah, here's a Perl script. Yeah, so... Over the next 15 years, um, I made it my mission to automate every piece of my job that I could. Um, I always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, the entrepreneur that I was working for at the time needed an accountant. So I said, I'll be an accountant, but I really do want to start my own business at some point. So my mission was just to make more time for myself to help try and think about other businesses that I could get involved in or start, right? So the automation went from using spreadsheets to using Perl to using Python. After six years at uh, LimeWire, where I uh, eventually became the CFO, I went to work at D.E. Shaw Research, which is part of the larger uh, D.E. Shaw group. That's a, that's a well-known hedge fund, but I worked for a group that built... Uh, and builds supercomputers that do chemistry. So again, lots of tech people, lots of help when I got stuck automating things to help me get unstuck. By this point, also Stack Overflow and other online resources were really coming to full fruit. So there was a lot of ability to teach myself there. And after 10 or 11 years of doing that, I started doing FinOptimal full-time. Although while I was still at DE Shaw, I was taking private clients on the side on QuickBooks to try to automate things that I knew could be done better with automation and save the accountants a ton of time. And I thought, maybe I can find a way to save other accountants time the way I've saved so much of my own time in my day jobs. And that was really the genesis. Well, I think there's optimal. a lot of stuff we just discuss. Um, I think just we could spend an hour talking about my experience with LimeWire back in the days and downloading music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a Let's do that. Uh, but I wanted to, um, you know, kick it a little bit more of a focus on Phenoptimal and what you're trying to achieve and what the, the, um, what market you do you see for it and what, it, what problem is it trying to solve? You know, I think it's really about 
improving the experience of getting journal entries booked. You know, that's one thing that accountants have to do, people, especially that are working in industry, right? You, every month you've got transactions, bills, accruals. Um, you need to consume spreadsheets, PDFs, a lot of different kinds of inputs and get journal entries booked and believe in those journal entries and be able to substantiate what's in there. And that's a very time consuming process unless you think through, okay, I get this spreadsheet. I need to like look up this value from this spreadsheet on this other static sheet that I keep and then key in the journal entry using the combination of those two things, right? It's not rocket science, but it's complicated enough that it's time consuming and error prone. And we try to take away that pain, let the accountant focus on reviewing and approving the journal entry instead of having to look things up and key it in. In a nutshell, that's what FinOptimal is trying to do. The first thing is a financial operation and we're trying to optimize the right, financial operation. I guess, operation. Tom, I mean, what, what, what do you see as the, the, um, the idyllic size uh, of a company using this sort of software and, and you know, who's, who would be overseeing it? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think what we do comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes. A lot of people talk about, you know, niche down, right? Focus on one on one group. If you're on QuickBooks online and you are on an accrual basis or would like to be on an accrual basis, we can support you. Our The way that our software works and support, we can support a business that does 10 accruals a month, a couple of prepaids and two fixed assets. Anywhere from we have a very complex data set with a proprietary database that's fundamental to how we invoice our customers. We need to automate the invoicing and the rev rec. We're also using Stripe. We also need to allocate our payroll. Right. So it really starts at I am on QuickBooks Online and I'd like to be on an accrual basis. And it goes all the way to I think I'm about to go public and I need to get off of QuickBooks. Anyone in that wheelhouse is a good person to work with us. Or if you're an accounting firm supporting those businesses, right? we're a good person to work with you. Our specialty lies in QuickBooks Online, automating inside QuickBooks Online and around it to eliminate manual journal entries, like Jesse said. So you know, I think the size is less relevant and it's more about, hey, you know, what do you want to see in your accounting system, right? Like we have people using our software or our mm -hmm. services that are pre-revenue, right? They're just, they're, they're grant funded and, or they're, you know, VC backed, their expenses matter a lot, right? So prepaid expenses and fixed assets are going to matter a lot anywhere from, you know, companies with a hundred million dollars in revenue. So we really run the gamut. Um, I think there's another qualitative aspect to it and it is, is the person in charge, whether it's the owner, the CFO, the controller, do they understand and appreciate the balance of people, process, and technology that's required to truly optimize the way that you're, you're doing your books, right? So as much as it is about the business, it's also about the people there too, right? We always say people, process, technology. It's our clients' people, right? Or our customers' people. And then our technology blended together with a, with a good process. Yeah. And I want to follow up on that a little bit and, and both of you can chime in. I mean, we certainly see a lot of our members, you know, talking about like embracing automation and different strategies around automation. Um, but uh, yeah, also a concern about sort of, are they approaching a white, white, white way? The, I guess the governance or do they understand the underlying processes of the automation? 
Um, what are your thoughts on that? And yep. how do you sort of communicate that to your customers? I think we talk a lot about automation and I will say loud and clear that you shouldn't automate everything, which is probably a surprising thing to hear. Oh, you're an automation mm-hmm. company. You're telling people not to do it. I've seen and lived through in past roles, horrendous attempts right. at using automation. Right. So for anybody out there, if, if you're being sold automation, you're thinking about using automation, you're exploring automation. I think it starts with a brainstorming exercise. Right. Think about things in your process or in your client's processes that are repetitive. Right. It's happening frequently. There is structure. Right. Meaning the data is going to look the same way all of the time. And there are business rules. If this, then that. If this, then that. Brainstorm everything you can think of that fit those criteria and involve junior members of your team, right? I've seen partners cook stuff up in a, in a partner meeting where they go, we should automate that. Right. I'm like, well, there's no structure there. So now you're spending all this time and energy trying to automate something that isn't conducive to automation. Start with what's conducive. And then you do an analysis of, all right, what's the impact of actually automating it, right? And what's the time that I'm going to invest and the resources that I'm going to invest to automate it. There is no one size fits all in terms of automation, right? But I also think when you when you talk about oh there there's I think automate there's there's semantic satiation when it comes to automation, right? You say the word again and again and again and again and it loses its meaning. Um oh there's AI, oh there's this. Like if you're a firm and you're on a, a 1 out of 10 meeting, I'm not using any automation. Consider using a Google form to collect information from your clients so you can get it in a structured way. Right. That's a really simple place to start. Right. If you are embracing automation and you, you said, I, I think I've automated to the greatest extent that I can, then go out there and look for other tools. But this idea that AI is coming for your job and this bot's going to get plugged in and t- like that's just not the way it works. You really need to think about and understand how automation works and then decide where to go and start automating. Everybody knows that even with all the accounts, even with all the, the apps and all the AI out there, right. you still can't hire accountants right now. I, I, so, what, one, one thing I want to follow up on, Jesse, is, is um, you know, you come from a background like you worked at Shaw, you know, you have this experience in, in, in big companies. Um, is, what's the learning curve out there right now for, you know, the sort of small to minimal market companies, the, the ones that are sort of embrace, they live by QuickBooks, right? You know, what's, and their, their learning curve when it comes to automation. You know, I think it varies. Some people take to it more naturally than others. I think people who are process minded tend to adapt themselves more quickly to new apps. They're willing to try an app knowing that it might not be perfect, have some missteps, rebat, like, take a step back, maybe even have to redo the work with a different app. There's a little more appetite for um, experimentation, which is definitely, you know, when you're trying to find the right process, important. There's an iterative component. I think there are some people who, you know, feel strongly about getting it right or having somebody else get it right closer to the first time. And in my experience, those people tend to have a longer learning curve ironically, because it just rarely works that way. So they'll get frustrated. They'll go back to the way they were doing it before. And then eventually they'll come back around and want to try it again. But, you know, they're starting from scratch. So I think the, the 
the right way to minimize your learning curve. Right. And I think Tom's approach is, is great. Start with, start with right. bill.com. If you have an automated accounts payable to the maximum yeah. extent, right. Yeah. Start with Expensify. If you haven't automated expenses, right. Start with, start with our accruer. If you want to, if you have a lot of prepaids or deferreds or fixed assets, yep. pick one, try to focus on where you spend the most time every month and then see if you can move the needle with one win with one app and don't let perfect be the enemy of better. I also think, I mean, Chris, you asked learning curve. So I'm curious when I heard learning curve, I almost was thinking like of a, a DIY mm -hmm. or do it yourself kind of a learning curve. Right. Cause I think there's two, there's two ways to go about it. Right. There are a, a lot of really amazing apps out there that automate things. And, you know, you can do your due diligence, but you might look around and go, Hey, none of these apps are doing exactly what I want. So then what do you do? Right. Or you have an app and it does mostly what you want, but you want it a little bit more. Right. Then you can kind of dip your toe in the do it yourself water. And I think today that's a lot more approachable than maybe when Jesse, when you started, right? Like they didn't have all these low code and mid code tools out there. Like you can access now, right? Like a UI path or an alter X. Like Zapier. these are things that are you know, Zapier, right? There are all these other tools out there now that give you some of the building blocks and you don't, you don't need to know how to code right? You need to know how code works. And then there's, there is an important distinction there, right? Like, oh, I know that if I tell it this, it's going to do that. If I tell it this, it's going to do that. You don't need to write the actual coding language, right? So I think there's a lot, it's easier now to dip your toe in the water and say, hey, let me just give this right. a spin. Like, do you think it could, you know, create a new email for me every time I get a document sent to this Dropbox? Like, yeah, play around with it. And once you get that taste, you might say, oh, I really like this. What else is there? Or you go, mm, this isn't for me. I keep I keep getting stuck here and I have a headache and I'm just going to have someone else do it for me. But at least you tried, right? At, le at least you gave it a shot and, you know, experimented right. with. One thing I want to ask is, um, and it, just this is from my own cursory knowledge of, of what's been going on in the industry, you know, uh, automation RPA has been around for, for a while. And I, I've seen a lot of discussion about it. And then we seem to have taken a diversion. Then blockchain was like all the discussion for a number of years. And now the discussion has shifted yep. to AI and generative AI and how is that? So I guess my question is, how does artificial intelligence fit into what you're talking about or does it at all? And what does it mean in terms of like the automated processes that you're trying to build? I, I like the timeline there. I feel like we, I feel like what we're doing lives in an area that wasn't discussed there, which mm -hmm. is, is using the API, right? So like bots in our mind, a bot is something that you train to act as you. It'll click and scroll and drag files around and act with the screen, the system, the interface, the same way that you would. That when I hear of RPA and bots, that's typically what I'm thinking of. And I think what most people are kind of communicating. I, that word bot does get thrown around a lot. What we do is definitely focused on the API data integration. Imagine you could go into the back end of any system, take every little data point that exists, smash it into a million little pieces, and then rearrange it however you want so that it's actually useful for you. That's what our software is really based in. You know, I think AI takes it to another level. Um, but understanding how all of those things lead up to something like AI, right, is, is really important. 
Um, also, look, I, w- I want to be yeah. I want to be circumspect about AI and honest that I don't think the accounting industry and certainly not me. And I'm a coder and a CPA, so I, I think I would at least be able to understand what's on offer there. Mm-hmm. If and right, I haven't seen um, an AI integration mm-hmm. that's moving the needle for a monthly close yet. I, I hope right. it will happen. I'm parts for of it. the monthly close. I think even part. Yeah, sure. Parts of the monthly close, maybe categorization, although that's been around for a long time, right? Classification. I do want to call back on the topic because again, AI is one of these things that I think scares right. people about it's coming for your job. I would expect some fairly small percentage of your listeners to be both internal financial executives, let's say a controller that also has interest in or right, maybe experience right. writing code. Okay. It's a very, it's a very small, cause we talked about low code and no code, which are powerful and a great way to get started. But when it comes to building a process that really fits the people in the process, like a glove, I, I don't believe there's a substitute for knowing how to code. It's definitely the best combination of skills. I think it allows FinOptimal to build software that we use for our own clients, right? And also that our accounting firm customers can use for their clients better than most of the software out there, right? Because it's created by people that know how to write code and have a CPA, right? right? The intersection of those two disciplines is really an unstoppable combination. So I want to encourage your listeners who have the inkling, oh, should I really take the time to learn? If you think it's cool and you think it's fun, do it. It's worth it. Yep. Right. AI is not coming for your job. You'll learn how to incorporate AI into your workflow when the tools are there. And in the meantime, you can get a jump on the competition big time. AI has been good at language based things so far from everything I've seen and I've used it. I tried to use it, I should say. Right. Um, I'm often disappointed with what I get, but I, I do regularly try to use it both personally and professionally. By no, it is by far the best at language, right? Uh, so I can see it helping with the month end close of automatically write an email for all outstanding PPC requests. That feels like a very apt use case if you are automating some part of that. I would call that practice management, right? It's more like automating the administrative work. I've not seen an application where it automates the actual accounting work, where it calculates and books a journal entry for you based on information that it can discern from whatever you're feeding into it. So I think that's that's a key distinction when we think about applications of AI. In One of the things I'm going to, you know, just listening to what we're discussing, there's two aspects to it. There's, um, there's the existing sort of like financial leaders out there who are listening to this conversation and saying, you know, it's like, I have no idea, right? I mean, they're a CPA. You know, they're yeah. they're higher up in the organization and they need to hire in people with this sort of understanding of, of the underlying code and data and hiring people to or, or getting services in order to support that. Then there's also this other aspect to uh, the industry where there's just not that many people going into accounting anymore, right? And and there's a lot of criticism about yep. are they being taught the right things in terms of like coding and, and things like that. How do you, um, I guess the question is, what's your outlook for that sort of uh lack of a better word, crisis in, in talent in this? Because we've I've had conversations with like, 
pretty senior people and we're talking about like for example esg and they're like i'm i'm gonna retire because i i can't like i can't wrap my head around how to implement this you know so you talk about these issues and yeah. they're they're probably thinking the same thing so i guess how do you overcome that sort of like there's a sort of hidden valley right now of like a lot of the senior people don't have the experience and a lot of the younger people aren't jumping into the industry. I, I want to take the first, the first one really quickly, because I, I'm going to say something that is hopefully will help a version of myself that's out there, a younger version of myself. If, if you are a senior accounting leader or finance leader and you're saying, I, I don't know what this is, I'm going to go hire somebody, turn around and look at the junior people that exist in your firm because they are doing the things that are the most conducive to automation. And I'm, I'm 29. Mm. We grew up with computers in our hands, right? I, I learned to code. I was on in first grade downloading songs off of LimeWire, right? On, probably in like close to a high chair so I could reach the computer, right? I learned to code by doing MySpace custom layouts when I was, you know, 11 years old, right? They There is an appetite. People that are in this, you know, the people that are there hmm. can figure this stuff out, give them an opportunity, right. To either brainstorm or get their hands dirty and challenge them. So that's my, before you go outside and you hire some consultant who's going to come in and tell you the same things that I told you in the beginning of this episode, I just gave you the entire consultation for free. That's where they're going to start with you. Do that brainstorming, do the plotting, then find someone to do it for you. Go to the younger people. Um, so I'm just plugging that for the the 21 year old version of myself that's sitting in a cubicle somewhere wishing that a partner would come to me and go, do you want to do something yeah. else? It's a little bit cooler. You can use some tech. Um, Jesse, you can take this, the second one about the, sh the hiring shortage. I just needed to plug that. Well, no, I like, I'm going to try to riff on what you just said. I think what you offer you, the sort of more experienced person that if you look at, you know, you look at your skill set, you look at your interest and aptitude and you say, I'm not learning to code. I don't even really see myself getting into Zapier and actually being the mechanic here. If you find someone young in your organization that is, that's more adaptable to that thing, I think it's important to recognize what you bring to the table that they can't have at this stage of their career and won't for many years. Mm. Okay. I've seen this many times, right? You're seeing the top level view. You have a feel for the strategy. You understand what matters and what doesn't matter, not just in terms of materiality, but also what matters to the consumer of the financial statements, right? You've thought about how these different things appear in the news and you're going to be able to train that person. It's, mm -hmm. it's all about division of labor, right? Play to your strengths. If you have experience doing something, maybe the old way, right? Have somebody else that's you know, newer to the workforce, help you do it the new way, but you guide them to make sure that the outputs look the way they need to look, right? You give them feedback on the financial statements. You give them feedback on the journal entries. Wow, this is enough detail. Yeah. This is too much detail. And there's that's that's how it's supposed to work. You train the next person, right? And and you get the the value of their work and the new skills that they're, you know, this the individual and more broadly their generation brings. So I, I want to sort of, you know, put the conversation like wrap it up in a total like forward looking thing and 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 like a broad broaden out a little bit. So, you know, a lot of discussion like I said is around the accounting pipeline and 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 how to fix that. Yep. 
it seems that that you two have been working in a very exciting, I mean, you're very passionate about it, right? I mean, it's the technology and you can see, you can look ahead and see what the problems it can fix. And you're like, you, you seem very forward looking about it. How do you convince the next generation and that there's a pathway uh, to this sort of like outlook in accounting. Because if, if you look on accounting Reddit, man, it is a dark place. <laughs> it's, it is not a, a yeah. positive place. But you seem to be like, I'm taking this entrepreneurial bent, you seem very excited and very, for. so what was your, would your words be to that cohort of people? I think the, the hiring shortage, the hiring issue is a symptom of a mm. bigger branding issue of accounting. I think that at accounting, and this starts at the top, right? Um, I remember like business casual, business professional every day, wear a suit, wear your dress shoes, go sit at a <laughs> computer. Is that really necessary? Yeah. Right. No. So I'm like, is that really necessary? I'm not advocating for a tank top and, you know, shorts in the office. Although now that I am in a startup, I do wear shorts, but guess what? My right. work is a plus every day. Right. So, Treat people and let them be who they are. I think uh, there's there's such a like a, there's a stuffy connotation around being an accountant, and you know they're, they're, that's not the case. It's not always the case. So I think it's really important. One from that perspective. I also think when I was coming up, accounting there was one path. It was it was right. you you go to big four or you go to public, and you make partner, or you stay there as long as you possibly can until you're burned out, and then you cash out for a nice pay raise and you go work in industry. That is the only two things that I ever thought existed in the accounting path, right? And two years into my career, I was like, what am I doing? Why did I do this? I didn't know that you could use it as a path right. to go work at a startup. We have all of our accounts behind us who work for a startup and do the books for other startups. They get exposure to all these cool companies. And it's a path to go work at a startup, right? You have a real tangible, transferable skill to understand the financials, every good business, every good idea that someone loves. I have this new idea for an app or new idea for a product. At the end of the day, it's a financial package. That's what people are going to care about right. is can it make money, right? And if you understand how it can or can't make money and you can measure if it can or can't make money, you're an asset. And now you have a ticket to go work at any company that you want because you bring something to the table that is frankly in need. So again, it's a it's a brand. And a ticket, a ticket to elsewhere in the same company, right? Yeah. 100%. I think that ticket ticket is the great is the right word for it. I think that's I think of accounting skills as a ticket to the table um at, at the senior most levels of the company, right? Because you have your you have the answers to financial questions at your fingertips. And if you listen closely to the questions you're getting, you can parlay those skills yep. into strategic insights into the company that you're working at, or if you're working at a firm you know, the clients of your firms, you start to, you can understand if you want to make money in business, you got to figure out business from what you can come into it as a lawyer and understand agreements. You can come into it as a marketing or sales, but right. Like there's this accounting is a very powerful ticket to the table, not just because it's quantitative, but because every right. other function in business has expenses or gets allocations and so there's there's much less of an access problem. You kind of have to see every. Well, I, I think we have to we have to include Jesse because he's key, like he's going to see the expenses anyway. Let's right. So it's a really powerful ticket to the table. Yep. But not just for accounting and finance. 
right? For business, whether it's entrepreneurship or in a large organization, if you're pursuing an executive role. Great. Those yep. are my questions. I Great really appreciate you both taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. For sure. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much.